The Haunter of the Dark Part 2 has been brought to you by The Muse of the Monstrous and Other Tales, a collection of horror fiction by Stephen Jankowitz. In the tradition of H.P. Lovecraft, The Muse of the Monstrous collects supernatural tales of madness and doomed curiosity. Dreamlike and darkly sensual, these stories trace humanity's struggle to remain functional in the face of cosmic horrors and mind-shattering revelations. In The Ghouls Like Angels, an abused housemaid in Victorian England finds a dangerous way to take revenge upon her master. <laughs> I like that one. Lots of good master and servant stuff uh, in there. I, I was really into that one as well. There was lots of really creepy, neat stuff, and I liked that world. Also, the cetological apotheosis of Samuel Coffin tells the story of a 19th century whale ship, a captain seduced by the occult, and sailors who dream as they drown in the deepest waters of the ocean. And in the title story, The Muse of the Monstrous, a scientist conducts groundbreaking experiments but finds herself drawn to a giant shambling figure in the forest. You can find The Muse of the Monstrous and other tales for the Kindle at Amazon.com. We'll put a link up to it in the show notes, as always. Just a reminder, you don't need a Kindle to use the service. Kindle is available as an app for the iPhone, iPad, or tablet. You can also get it on your PC. You could use it however you like. The Muse of the Monstrous and Other Tales will also be available in paperback soon. You can get more details about that on the author's blog, museofthemonstrous.blogspot.com. Yeah, we'll link out to it. Yeah, we'll link. And now, we bring you the conclusion of our coverage on the last story written solely by H.P. Lovecraft, The Haunter of the Dark. My own paranoid fantasies were projected and exorcised, if you will. I found that I could exorcise these fears by giving vent to them in story form, and I found also that apparently some readers got a degree of exorcism. Occasionally, uh, I found I could learn to introduce a few laughs, give them a little entertainment along the way. HPPodcraft.com When he did look away, it was to notice a somewhat singular mound of dust in the far corner near the ladder to the steeple. Just why it took his attention, he could not tell, but something in its contours carried a message to his unconscious mind. Plowing toward it and brushing aside the hanging cobwebs as he went, he began to discern something grim about it. Hand and handkerchief soon revealed the truth, and Blake gasped with a baffling mixture of emotions. It was a human skeleton, and it must have been there for a very long time. The clothing was in shreds, but some buttons and fragments of cloth bespoke a man's gray suit. There were other bits of evidence. Shoes, metal clasps, huge buttons for round cuffs, a stick pin of bygone pattern, a reporter's badge with the name of the old Providence Telegram, and a crumbling leather pocketbook. Blake examined the latter with care, finding within it several bills of antiquated issue, a celluloid advertising calendar for 1893, some cards with the name Edwin M. Lillibridge, and a paper covered with penciled memoranda. What is going on here? Uh, well, we are tackling H.P. Lovecraft's, as you said at the top of it, his last solo written story. Yeah, The Haunter of the Dark. And yeah. we're doing it here at the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And before we get started, I do want to make a quick uh, amendment. Okay. Last week I said something really foolish. And I said that <laughs> that Lovecraft got got uh, Shagai from Ramsey Campbell. And I had that just completely backwards. Because Ramsey Campbell wasn't even born until 1946. So it would be really hard for Lovecraft to take something from, from Ramsey Campbell being that he was born almost 10 years after he died. That would be almost like something out of a Lovecraft story. We live in the real world, and uh, yeah, I was just wrong. Okay. I, I've been doing a lot of absinthe lately. 
you've been doing doing i've been doing absinthe have you been it shows you how much i know about absinthe i find it's the best way to raise a child (laughs) no i was just it was just a mistake and uh, yeah we make make mistakes on the show from time to time we do it could be that this whole show is kind of a mistake (laughs) you mean the whole podcast yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was either a joke or a mistake (laughs) <laughs> at the end, at the end of it, on our wrap-up show, we'll go. You know what? I'm gonna make a correction on the on the last uh, 115 episodes. <laughs> they were stupid. Don't listen to them. <laughs> Please don't listen to them. Our mistake. <laughs> well, uh, in the story so far, where we were, uh, we've got this Robert Block uh, character. Yeah, who's uh, named Robert Blake. Right, and so Blake <laughs> has moved into this house in Providence. Uh, got obsessed by this church he could see across town busted his way into that church after he crossed town to find it, even though neighborhood folks told him it's bad, it's creepy, and it used to be controlled by the Starry Wisdom sect. We don't know what that is, but they did awful stuff. Uh, Once he busted in, he found a bunch of creepy books, found this creepy jewel or stone in a case, you know, that was surrounded by these gothic chairs and a table, and and now he's found the body of this reporter, Chester Copperpot. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a Copperpot! (laughs) No, no. uh, (laughs) Edwin M. Lillibridge. Does kind of serve the same role, right? Yeah, he basically, our, our protagonist is going to find out what he has researched, so it's going to give him a whole slew of information. Also, before we go on, I just want to say Donovan Locks, friend of the show, uh, yeah. who is an expert about Providence, I would say, uh, he has a picture of the church before it got demolished. Yeah, that's right. I actually I, I amended our show notes and put a clip out to that. It actually goes to Will Hart's uh, photo stream or, or whatever you call it. You know, Will Hart out here in Fullerton, he's got like an enormous collection of Lovecraft memorabilia and yes. photographs and all that kind of stuff. His site is a really great resource. We'll link out to that. And I think we have before because there's really a ton of really neat stuff in there. It's yeah. a Cthulhu Who blog. It's yeah. got recordings and, and media and that kind of thing. And then Donovan was the one who wrote in to tell us have a look at it because Donovan's an expert on this kind of Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's super creepy. Sort of it is a creepy looking church. I could see what, why it inspired the story. Yeah, if you f- click around in the uh, series of photos, some of them look creepier than others depending on how you're looking up at the church you know there's another one where there's like a ford escort parked in front and it doesn't just doesn't quite have the same you know (laughs) (laughs) the same impact but it is cool and and i'm glad you mentioned it people should check that out so back to the story um Mm -hmm. chester copperpot here drops a bunch of information that he has he was taking notes when he was doing his research now if we remember earlier in the story they talk about how there was a news reporter that went missing and well this is Mm -hmm. the guy there's some interesting stuff in here professor enoch bowen is the guy who bought the uh, church in 1844 and he was some kind of archaeologist and occult guy Mm -hmm. in a sermon in 1844 there was a a Baptist preacher who warned against that sect, the Starry Wisdom sect. Mm-hmm. Some disappearances. And the first mention of the shining trapezohedron. Mm-hmm. There was a, a bunch of disappearances in 1848, and people suspected that there might have been blood sacrifices. One note that's even more particular talks about devil worship. There's a, a around some box that was found in Egyptian ruins mm-hmm. and uh, says they call up something that can't exist in light. It actually, it almost sounds uh, medical. Flees a little light and banished by strong light. Don't take with alcohol. You know what I mean? It's got like a strange kind of pattern to it. But if it does get banished, then it has to be summoned again. And this is something that was a guy named Francis Feeney confessed on his deathbed. He was an old Starry Wisdom guy. Mm -hmm. He says they look in the shining trapezohedron, they see heaven and other worlds, and the haunter of the dark tells them secrets in some way. So checking the name of the story there. The haunter of the dark is officially the name of this creature. 
yeah. people call it up by gazing at the crystal, which we know uh, that's what our boy's been doing here. In the- yeah, <laughs> he didn't mean to. He just looked, yeah. it looked pretty. And so, boom, there you go. So there's more business about this kind of thing, but that's those are really the important fragments that we need to know. Yeah. And the body of Lillibridge is in some weird state as well, right? Yeah, it's partially charred, but also a little bit yellowed and dissolved. Well, he looks at the body, looks over the notes, and then he starts staring into the jewel again. <laughs> and he does get these strange visions of, like, an endless desert and stone monoliths. Yeah, hooded figures as well. And some gulf of darkness. It seems like it's getting more and more and more, like, at first it's a landscape, and then it's kind of scenes from the past, and then it starts unfolding into this whole terrible revelation. There's something exciting here. I want to just read this this little passage. It talks yeah. of v- vortices of space where wisps of black mist floated by, then shimmering of cold purple haze. Yeah, Purple Haze. Jimi Hendrix read the story. <laughs> that's where that came from? Yeah, that's where it came from. It came from the story. Everything came from Lovecraft. Well, suddenly he's jarred out of it, out of looking at it by this presence in yes. the room. Well, he feels something. Yeah, he feels like there's a presence in the room, and it, it, it shocks and startles him. And yeah. he notices that it's darker outside, and he's been in there so long that the day has passed, and that the stone seems to be faintly glowing. Yeah. And that freaks him out. He closes the box at that point. He does. And in the dark, it says that this uh, formless alien presence is close to him and watching him with horrible intentness. I know that I had talked a little bit about self-parody and, and whatnot, and some people disagree with me about that. Yeah, I, I saw that on the forums and comments. People are thinking you're, you're mad for saying such a thing. <laughs> That's fine. But definitely when we get to this part of it, it's, I mean, this is some solid Lovecraft stuff. That scares me. The, yeah. the, the description of that, because who hasn't been in a dark room and thought, is somebody in here with me? Or, oh, yeah. Or is something, uh, something looking at me? All right. It's a really bad feeling. I always get the, the somebody's in the house. Like, I always get that uh, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I might wake up or hear a noise and go, is somebody downstairs? Is somebody in the house? Is somebody breaking yeah. in? Never. It's never happened. Knock on wood, yeah. It's never been real. But it's that fear. That fear is very powerful. Oh, it is, yeah. And that that's a logical fear, too. Well, the creepy thing about it is you always imagine that they're standing still listening for you. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's not like somebody's in the house making noise. They're just standing right around the... Oh, yeah. The corner of your room. Yeah. But good. he closes up the box and he gets out of there. He plunges down wildly down the stairs, across the ghoulish nave, into the vaulted basement, out into the haunted alleys and avenues of Federal Hill. And it's that, that trip home when you're scared. <laughs> you know, you just want to get back to the familiar things yeah. as quickly as possible. But oh. he, did, he did keep that book that had the cryptograms in it, right? He did, yeah. And he thought it was some kind of code, but... Uh, some time passes, and he's actually able to decipher it. And he finds out that it's written in the dark Aklo language. Right, which we've brought up before. And we have brought up Aklo before, yeah. Ancient, uh, evil cult language. And, and that's what it is. Wilbur Watley uh, brings it up. Once he cracks it, he starts getting a lot of information about what was going on in that church. It mm-hmm. says, There are references to a haunter of the dark, awaked by gazing into the shining trapezohedron and insane conjectures about the black gulfs of chaos from which it was called. The being is spoken of as holding all knowledge and demanding monstrous sacrifices. Some of Blake's entries show fear lest the thing which he seemed to regard as summoned stalk abroad, though he adds that the streetlights form a bulwark which cannot be crossed. Of the shining trapezohedron he speaks often, calling it a window on all time and space, and tracing its history from the days it was fashioned on dark Yuggoth, before ever the Old Ones brought it to Earth. It was treasured and placed in its curious box by the crinoid things of Antarctica, 
salvaged from their ruins by the serpent men of Volusia, and peered at eons later in Lemuria by the first human beings. It crossed strange lands and stranger seas, and sank with Atlantis before a Minoan fisher meshed it in his net and sold it to swarthy merchants from knighted Chem. The pharaoh Nephron Ka built around it a temple with a windowless crypt, and did that which caused his name to be stricken from all monuments and records. Then it slept in the ruins of that evil fane which the priests and the new pharaoh destroyed till the Delver's spade once more brought it forth to curse mankind. You know, you get some prehistory there, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, really but only about, it's like a paragraph and a half. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was neat. He gave you a lot of information in a very short amount of time. And I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying that that as a, as a device, this found diary is like so much better. Or even looking into a magic cube to see things is better than looking at cave paintings and deciphering it. You know, if, if yeah. in the Mountains of Madness they had looked into a jewel and they just saw on TV everything that they <laughs> right. that they came to, it would have been a little more credible than deconstructing hieroglyphs to, to figure it out. Anyway, yeah. just a side yeah, note. Yeah, it's true. And uh, he mentions lots, lots of other things. I mean, uh, Belusia is... is Robert E. Howard, I believe, came up with that stuff in The Serpent Men. Speaking of Robert E. Howard, I finally watched uh, Whole Wide World, that uh, biopic movie about him with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and Renee Zellweger. You know, I every once in a while I've looked for that. It just doesn't seem to be easily available anymore. Where where did you... Uh... Well, they had it um, at Love Film, which is like a, a Netflix thing here in the UK. Oh, okay. And uh, it's, not, it's not very good, really. It's pretty, pretty boring. I mean... He was crazy, and the whole thing is based on a book that this woman that he sort of dated wrote about him in the 80s. Oh, okay. And it's her take on him, and it's funny. There's a couple Lovecraft references in there where he gets – they change it around a little bit where Farnsworth calls Robert E. Howard and says, uh, hey, can I give Lovecraft your address? He's a really big fan. He wants to get a hold of you. It's like, wait what? a minute. That's not what, what happened. That's not what happened. Uh he wrote into Weird Tales, said some stuff about Lovecraft's work, you know, basically praising it. And then yeah. Lovecraft goes, oh, I'm right back to this guy. And then he right. did. You yeah. know, that's that's what happened. That's lame. And then there's another one where Lovecraft says another part. They said they quote Lovecraft because he says that Robert E. Howard is the best fantasy writer of the 20th century. <laughs> well, he might have said something like that. Yeah. I mean, he, That one, I don't know if he actually said that one. It's, yeah. If anybody knows out there whether or not Lovecraft actually said that one, please put it in our forums or make a comment. I've been curious about that for a while. I'm glad you watched it. I watched the whole thing. Part of me was a little b- bored and was going to go, eh, I know how this ends because I, I know about Robert E. Howard. But then yeah. I, I, I pushed through and watched the rest of it. It's it's not great. But if you're into this type of stuff, which I am. <laughs> Obviously. It's worth seeing. The newspapers in Providence start to supplement Blake's entries from his journal that, you know, that... Uh, in the papers, it says that everybody in the neighborhood of Federal Hill is starting to go a little crazy because of some stranger that went up in that church. Something, they said, was constantly watching at a door to see if it were dark enough to venture forth. <laughs> and again, that was like the scariest thing in the whole story to me. Something standing at a door watching. You can't see it, but you know it's back there. Yeah. Blake is starting to kind of feel remorseful about what he did and talk about, you know, I got to go get that thing and, and bury it or banish it or get rid of it so that... You know, this thing doesn't manifest, whatever it is. And then on July 17, a thunderstorm knocks out the lights for an hour. In the night, a thunderstorm had put the city's lighting system out of commission for a full hour. And in that black interval, the Italians had nearly gone mad with fright. 
Those living near the dreaded church had sworn that the thing in the steeple had taken advantage of the street lamp's absence and gone down into the body of the church, flopping and bumping around in a viscous, altogether dreadful way. Toward the last, it had bumped up to the tower, where there were sounds of the shattering of glass. It could go wherever the darkness reached, but light would always send it fleeing. In my head, I'd kind of imagined it as this, like, sort of demon or humanoid thing. In that description, you you realize it's a little more like the Dunwich horror. Yeah, I don't know. I can maybe this is I'm tainted from reading uh, the Call of Cthulhu role playing stuff, but I, I, it seems like it's a big worm or a serpent or snake to me. The, mm. When it when he says um, that it flopped around, yeah, in in I don't know the the flopingness of it that it, it seems like something a snake or a fish would do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just imagine it as being this kind of big amorphous mass yeah funny sentence when it says um it had bumped and slithered up into its tenebra steeple just in time for a long dose of light would have sent it back into the abyss which the crazy stranger had called it <laughs> like he's this wacky <laughs> character he's like what a church i'll go in okay <laughs> but even the outer door of the church had rattled hideously in this period when it was dark yeah this is all bad for blake i mean the fact i guess it didn't really occur to him that the lights could go out in this way but now he's really scared to death of it the fact that there could be another storm and the power would go out. Yeah. When they when they went to go investigate those noises in the church, some reporters went in there and found some odd things, right? Well, not, I mean, not much. They went in and uh, there was the bad odor and there's the, that, again, that charred burn thing and the yellow stuff all over. But other than that, nothing. Well, they didn't find the body or anything, did they? No, they didn't find the body. They didn't find the box. And they, they went up into the, the the steeple and they didn't find the creature. They found nothing. Well, they found evidence that it had been basically boarding up the place, though, because some windows had shattered. Yes. Up there, I think, when it was when the lights went out, probably because it was flopping around. And then to keep the light out, it had stuffed all of these this fabric and stuffing from the pews and satin fragments and horsehair. I mean, it was just ramming them in all the windows to keep it black. There's evidence yeah. that something had gone down there. But of course, they just write it off as charlatanry. And, and but they don't find a, a big monster. That's what's crazy no. about it. There's no creature in there. So where did it go? What happened? Well, assuming they went up there with flashlights and some kind of if they weren't crazy like Blake and just went in there to pitch black. I'm ah, sure of they course. Yeah, they had light, and so it had to yeah. run run away from the light. And it, what's funny there is that the uh, there's an amusing aftermath. The police wanted to send an officer over to verify the reports, and three of the officers were like, "Oh no, I got a stomachache today," or. You know, I can't go. I got to I got to pick my wife up from the doctor. And then the fourth guy went, but he came back right away. And everything that he verified was what the reporters already said. You know, (laughs) he totally didn't go. No, he just went down to like a pizza place and played Dig Dug for 20 minutes. You know, (laughs) Blake wants to do something about this, but he doesn't know what to do. And he starts having these dreams and these dreams are about the church and he's obsessed with the church. One time he wakes up and he's dressed like he has his clothes on. Yeah. And he thinks, well, wait a minute. Why Why am I dressed? What What? Ex- what exactly happened? And on the 30th of July, he sleepwalked. He got himself dressed and sleepwalked and went to the church. He kind of woke up and he was at the church. It's absolutely terrible. And he, I mean, before that time, he had started to have this fear that there was some kind of rapport between he and the, the mind of this haunter of the dark. Yeah. In the distant steeple, like it was pulling to him. Mm-hmm. You know, when the lights went out, it was trying to get out of the church, almost like it wanted to come to him. When it couldn't do it, it starts pulling him to it, which is awful. <laughs> and it's, he says again and again, he dwells on the fact that the thing in the steeple knows where to find him. It's really creepy. It's funny that after 20 years, Lovecraft has spent developing this peculiar type of horror. I mean, he 
he certainly synthesized what he got from other writers, but he did it in such a way that we still refer to it as Lovecraftian. You know, and that's the thing that they're insane things you're bringing at the edges of our consciousness and all this kind of business. But at the end of the day, the last yeah. thing that he writes is really about a man who's afraid of the dark. The big horror of this is it's going to be dark, and there are things in the dark that can get you. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting part here, too, where he when he wakes up in the church, in the top room, but not in the spire, he actually goes and he looks up into the spire, but it's not black. He goes into, like, a super space freakout kind of thing. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? There's all these crazy images. And, yeah. And you don't know if it's in his mind or if he's seeing it, but looking up there really it makes him see all this crazy stuff. Right, yeah. Well, he see, the big thing is he sees, like, the ultimate chaos, and he sees Azathoth at the center of the universe with his solid gold dancers, and they're just all super <laughs> into him and everything like that. You know? What do you mean? He's got all those. Oh, th- I see. Encircled by his flapping horde of mindless and amorphous dancers. Yeah, those are the solid gold dancers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are people who uh, have no idea who the solid gold dancers are. And I feel for them. <laughs> well, he figures out pretty quick where he is, uh, that he's in the church, and, and he yeah. runs out of there. It's it's pretty awful discovery. That he's lost control, basically, and, and that this is happening. And he he's a mess. He's got you know scratches and things on them. His, yeah, isn't his his hair is scorched, singed, or burned like you know the bodies and the, you know how there's the yellow ichor. There's yellow ichor on him, and he's slightly yeah. burned as well. It's terrible. Which is kind of a neat thing about this creature that it burns you yet it leaves some goo on you. Mm-hmm. That's it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. It's so weird. He takes to tying his ankles up to his bed so that if he sleepwalks, he'll fall over and, right. and wake up. Hopefully, he won't end up in that church again. That's really terrible. It wasn't until August 8th when there's this crazy lightning storm that happens and right. lightning hits all over the city and it actually hits and explodes. It creates two fireballs and then it just rains super, super hard. And and Blake is up there writing in his diary frantically as yes. this is going down. Because he's worried uh, the power grid is going to give out. And if it yeah. does, then this thing will be out there and causing havoc. And you know that the power company is getting so mad at him because they're out there trying to make sure that's not happening, but they have to keep sending people back to the office to talk to him on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, we're going to try our best, Mr. Blake. We're going to try. What's really creepy about this, and this is sort of a thing, he keeps the the lights off in his house so that he can see out of what's going on in the city. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of neat because he's sort of becoming connected to this creature that lives in the dark. Right. And he says he's doing it so he can see what's going on in the city, but is he really? Yeah, is he preparing the place? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was neat. It's it's not overt. I, I thought that was one of those things when I read it. I go, wait a minute. He's phoning the power company. The, the locals are out there, you know, pray. And then... then the lights went out all over the city. It happened at 2.12 a.m., according to Powerhouse Records. But Blake's diary gives no indication of the time. The entry is merely... Lights out. God help me. So things are going down. Yeah, people are freaking out. But fortunately, they have. The the people in the the town are prepared for this. So they've got uh, umbrella-shaded candles, uh, flashlights, lanterns to try and keep the city, even if the the power went went out. Because the people know the legends, and they're they're ready to... Yeah, but the elements are conspiring against them. Exactly. crazy storm and and winds, and everything's going nuts out there. And we we know from testimony of patrolmen and, and some of the priests that are out there. There were these sounds, like fumbling sounds inside the church these terrible smells and mephitic vapors that are pumping out of there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At last, there's the sound of splintering wood and, like, something crashes down into the yard. It busts out of the church and slams down. And then there's this uh, vibration, like, flapping wings. 
which adds even more strangeness to this creature, whatever it is. Yeah. And then this sudden east-blowing wind, and whoosh, like east, like it's headed towards towards Blake. Well, they see. I mean, the people mentioned that they saw there was a blur of denser blackness against the inky sky, something like a formless cloud of smoke that shot with meteor-like speed towards the east. So there is something, but it's like a big. It's like the smoke monster from Lost. There, it does have tangible shape, but it shifts and changes, and it probably has all sorts of characteristics. Yeah. So it's impossible to describe it. After the thing leaves the church, there's a half an hour after the rain stops, 15 minutes more, the streetlights come on again. And, and they don't keep vigilant actually too long after that. They go home. But the next day, they talk about a, this great lightning flash in the papers. Mm-hmm. That right around the time that there was that whoosh of air and everything from the church, mm-hmm. there was this lightning blast farther east, and everybody woke up there. Uh, the people that were already awake, they just saw this, this blaze of light near the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. But the people in this fraternity house saw this grotesque... That's the smoke that you were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, students in that house, they also saw in the rear windows, they could see in a Blake study, and they noticed this blurred white face at the westward window Yeah. on the, the next morning. It was him. And they wonder what's wrong with the expression of that guy. And that's kind of a, a strange creepy visual right? super cool no no yeah because they keep looking out the, all day they keep looking at the at the house and you go god he's still sitting there what's up with that guy why is he sitting there with that weird facial expression just at the window and then they go well let's wait until night and if he doesn't turn on his light we'll call the authorities right wow how creepy man what what is that day like that you're you keep looking out the window seeing this creepy dude with this scary face just looking out the window oh. oh such a great visual oh my gosh it's great there's an earlier thing too when they talk you know before he'd said that it was birdless around that thing and that was sort of strange he made mm-hmm. reference earlier in this part of the story to how flocks of birds would sometimes approach it and as they got closer they would scatter in like confusion mm-hmm. so, and i always thought that would be another great if you ever filmed this or made some adaptation of it that that's just such an amazing visual of all of these this huge, well-formed flock of obedient birds suddenly breaking up and going nuts just because they approached the building. Yeah. Well, the police listen to those fraternity guys, and they go and they find Blake, and that's what we heard at the beginning of the story. Yeah. He's in there all crazed, but they do find his his journal that he's yeah. been writing in and that he wrote in throughout the night. And they find that his pencil is clutched in his hand, his rigid hand. And here again, it makes reference to Dr. Dexter, who is the one who finds the, the police didn't find it, but he apparently found the, the self-luminous stone up in the uh, steeple and threw it into the bay, motivated in part by these final jottings yeah. in Blake's journal. And, and, and here it shows the entries, and the entries form the end of the story. Light's still out. Must be five minutes now. Everything depends on lightning. Yadith granted will keep up. Some influence seems beating through it. Rain and thunder and wind deafen. The thing is taking hold of my mind. Trouble with memory. I see things I never knew before. Other worlds and other galaxies. The dark. The light seems dark. And the darkness seems light. It cannot be the real hill and church that I see in the pitch darkness. It must be retinal impression left by flashes. Heaven grant the Italians are out with their candles if the lightning stops. What am I afraid of? Is it not an avatar of Nyarlathotep who in antique and shadowy cam even took the form of man? I remember Yoggoth and more distant Shagai and the ultimate void of the black planets. The long, winging flight through the void cannot cross the universe of light. Recreated by the thoughts caught in the shining trapezohedron, send it through the horrible abysses of radiance. My name is Blake. Robert Harrison Blake of 620 East Knapp Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am on this planet. Azathoth, have mercy. The lightning no longer flashes. Horrible. I can see everything with a monstrous sense that is not 
sight. Light is dark, and dark is light. There's people on the hill. Guard, candles and charms. They're priests. Sense of distance gone. Far is near, and near is far. No light, no glass. See that steeple, that tower, window. Can hear Roderick Usher, a mad. I'm going mad. The thing is stirring and fumbling in the tower. I am it, and it is I. I want to get out, must get out, and unify the forces. It knows where I am. I am Robert Blake, but I see the tower in the dark. There is a monstrous odor. Senses transfigured, boarding at that tower window, cracking and giving way. Yeah, I, Eeg, I see it. Coming here. Hell, wind, titan, blur, black wings, Yogg-Sothoth, save me. The three-lobed burning eye. And uh, that's the end of the story. Yep. It's the end of all the stories. That is the end of all of the stories. So what happened there at the end? It seems that the creature was possessing Robert Blake. It was kind of taking over over his mind and over maybe over, trying to take over his body. Perhaps this lightning strike was what banished it, but it also killed him. In my mind, the lights went out, the thing broke from the church, was flying across town toward him. Mm-hmm. He's staring out the window in the dark, and he sees it coming. Mm-hmm. That's the expression on his face. The lightning hits his building, the light banishes it from the lightning, but he dies of fright. I think so. And the last thing he sees is the three-lobed burning eye. Yeah. People think that this is silly that he would be writing as that stuff happens. Yeah. I, for some reason, I don't. Really? I do. I do think it's silly. Really? Well, when we read that earlier story where he was literally being dragged off into the abyss. Uh-huh. As he was writing. <laughs> yeah. That was not credible to me. But this, it's not as if he has to run or anything. He's up and he sees it. He's trying to describe it. I, I don't know. I don't know. If it's that scary that it's killing you with fright, I don't think I would have the composure to write it down. You don't, but this is a guy whose whole job is documenting weird emotion and writing these type of stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of what he does. Yeah. And if you have this insane phenomena happening, maybe he just wants to get it down. And also, maybe he doesn't even know for sure that it's real. Yeah. It doesn't bother me, but I know some people it drives them crazy. Yeah. I I mean, it doesn't. I mean, there's lots of things in Lovecraft stories that, if you look at them, they're a little ridiculous. But in here, I don't even think about it. I excuse it. It's just so cool. And I think that's a cool last line. Because it's so... I didn't didn't know the story was over when I read it the first time. I thought there would be one of those trademark Lovecraft... Some kind of italicized ending. Yeah, some kind of epilogue. But this was just like, nope, it was that supreme moment of horror for the character, and that's the end. And the end of H.P. Lovecraft's stories. Ah, Wow. I guess I didn't really think about this, but that is the last Lovecraft story that we're going to cover in this yeah. chapter of the show. Feels a little weird. I'm not going to lie to you. I just it, it just hit me all of a sudden when we when you when you said that's the last uh, Lovecraft story. I was I was like, oh sh. We're going to do another episode where we're going to talk about the end of Lovecraft's life and a bit about his legacy. Yeah, it's not going to be all sadness and poopy pants on that one. I mean, <laughs> yes, he passed away, but everybody must. And I would say that he uh, was more successful, obviously, after his death, which is unfortunate that he didn't get to enjoy it in his lifetime. But what a success! You know, here we yeah. are, so much later, uh, still talking about these things. Absolutely, you know, a really amazing body of works. But this concludes our coverage of Haunter of the Dark. I want to say thanks to Andrew Lehman for all of the great 
uh, readings he's done. Again, we're pulling this from a full audio recording of the story that we did a couple of years ago that is still available on our site only, hppodcraft.com. It's on the left nav. You can download it from there. Uh, and those were excerpts from that. I'm playing some music right now from Zeitgeist Zero. They supported us in our live show, Cor- Corn Zero did, and, and this is the track that he played as our sort of outro then. I really liked it, and um, I felt that they did a great job helping us out when we did our live show and didn't quite give them the, the proper thanks. So we're playing some of that now. I think it's a backing track for a future album of theirs, but you can get their material. We'll link out to their website, and obviously anywhere you buy music, Spotify or iTunes, you're going to find them there as well. So exactly. please check out Zeitgeist Zero. They're an awesome... Uh, group and, and we really love them. And lastly, I want to thank our sponsor again, Stephen Jankowitz and the Muse of the Monstrous and Other Tales, which is available uh, for the Kindles. So go out and buy it right now. It's yeah. it's, it's a great read and you'll love it. Uh, with that, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. 